You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. So again, good to see everyone. Um, If you are a guest, it's a good time to come in. We're finishing up a series called Renewal. This is a series we're going to launch every year at the beginning of the year just to remind us as a church uh, what we are really all about, kind of our four big values as a church. And the first week we talked about um, as pastors, our desire is to see everyone in this church grow up, uh, to, to go from, from maybe being an a infant in the faith to becoming more mature in Christ. And of course, we give everyone time to do that. It's not like we're saying like grow up tomorrow, but we do want to see people progressing and experiencing more of the life that God has has created and called us to experience. And then we've also talked about as a church, because we are bombarded every single week with lies from the world, from the culture, from even our own voices, that we think it's important to come together in a large setting like this and also in smaller settings, what we call missional communities, to learn more about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ and how that changes who we are and how we're called to live. And then last week, we talked about we don't just want to be a church that gathers, but we want to be a church that, that goes out. We believe that success is not ultimately defined as a church by how many people we get in seats, uh, but how many disciples we have that fill the the streets. And so uh, we are about taking Jesus beyond these walls to people in our city and beyond who are in desperate need of good news. And so we want to be a church that goes. And then this week, uh, we're going to talk about how we don't just want to be a church that, that, that grows and gathers and goes, but we want to be a church that gives. And so congratulations, you're here for everybody's favorite sermon of all time. And so um, if, uh, if, by the way, you're here and you're like, are you kidding me? Like I've been trying to get my coworker here for six months and the first Sunday that he or she's here is a Sunday you're talking about giving, like really, right? Or, uh, you know, if you're like, you know, sitting there and thinking, oh yeah, Jared prays right after he reads the text so we can like sneak out while he's praying, you know, and no one will ever know. Um, If that's where you are, I just want to encourage you, uh, stay with us. Um, I really believe that if you will take to heart what we're going to talk about today, it has the potential uh, to change your perspective on giving and therefore increase your potential to experience more and more of the life that God has created you to experience. And so Matthew 21 is where we're going to be as we dive into this talk. We're going to start in verse 1. And the heading in my Bible says this uh, little section is entitled the triumphal entry. So Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem. And he's about to accomplish the greatest thing that's ever been done. The fact that he is moving closer and closer towards dying for the sins of the world on a cross. So we can be forgiven and freed and have a relationship with the God of the universe. And so we pick up in the story in Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, because they probably will, right? It's like, hey, dude, what are you doing with my donkey? Right? If anybody says anything to you, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, and the foe of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. 
Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road and cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before Jesus that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city, the whole, the entire city was stirred up saying, Who is this and the crowd said this is the prophet jesus from nazareth of galilee let's pray together one more time i'll pray for you if you will you pray for me father in the short time that we have remaining we need you to come and do what only you can do to open up our hearts to open our eyes and our ears to receive the good news that you have for us today I pray for each person that is here that they will see that it is not by accident that you've brought them to this place. And I pray that that truly when they leave, they will have heard from you and that you will transform our lives as a result of it. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. In 1983, John Scully was the president of Pepsi. And up to this point, uh, he had given his entire life to building one of the most recognizable brands in the world. He was successful, he was happy, and he had no plans of ever leaving Pepsi. That is until Steve Jobs came to him one day and invited him to leave the comforts of Pepsi and to join him and his little startup company that we now know as Apple Computers. And Scully writes in his book that the first few times that Jobs came to him that he declined and he said, no, thank you, I want nothing to do with this. But eventually Scully writes and he says that Jobs came to him one night at a party and he said to Scully, he said, do you want to spend the rest of your life making sugar water or do you want to join me in changing the world? I love that line. Do you, do you want to spend the rest of your life giving your time and your energy and all that you have, your resources to something that really isn't going to matter? Or do you want to join me in transforming the lives of other people? As some of you know, eventually Scully joined Jobs. And whether you are a PC person or an Apple person, doesn't matter. The reality is Apple did in many ways change the world and how we think and how we live. And the whole reason I want to start my sermon by sharing that story is, listen, I believe today whether you are a businessman or a high school student, whether you are rich or poor, black or white, young or old, no matter who you are or how you came into this room, I believe today with all of my heart that God is inviting you into something bigger than Apple by inviting you into his mission of changing the world. And this invitation that he extends to us today really is an absurd invitation. In fact, it may be one of the most absurd invitations in the entire world because when God invites us into his mission to partner with him in changing the world, what he actually invites us to do is to simply give back to him what he has already freely given to us. And just to help you understand how crazy and illogical and yet incredible this invitation to give back to him really is, to understand why embracing this life of generosity for the sake of his mission really is one of the most absurd things in the world, what I want us to do is look back at Matthew 21. And the first thing that I want you to see in here is the first reason I say that God's invitation to us, this invitation of generosity, the reason I say it's absurd is because it means the God of the universe is going to people that he made and asking to borrow things that he created. I mean, that's what we see in this story, right? I mean, Jesus goes to the disciples and and he says, look, I want you to go into town and here's what I want you to do. I want you to find for me a donkey and not just a donkey. I also want a little donkey 
right? Which we forgot about that in the Easter stories. We always have Jesus on a donkey, but we forget about the little donkey. He says, I want a donkey and I want a little donkey. All right, so he says, I want you to go into town. In verse 2, I want you to untie the donkey and the little donkey and bring them to me. That's ultimately, just so you know, that's what generosity is all about. It's God going to you and saying, I want you to untie your possessions so that you can use them for my purposes. Jesus says, go into the town, untie the donkeys, bring them to me. He says, of course, when the man asks you, like, hey, what are you doing? Look at verse 3. He says, tell them the reason that you are doing this is because the Lord, what's the word, needs them. That's absurd. Does Jesus really need some donkeys to accomplish his mission? I, I mean, Jesus took a boy's snack and fed 5,000 people with it. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus has walked on water. Jesus has raised people from the dead. Does he really need donkeys to accomplish his mission? Absolutely not, right? And to me, this seems like just extra time that he really shouldn't be spending. I mean, he has to explain to the disciples how to get to the donkeys. He has to wait for them to go get the donkeys and then come back, right? Whenever he could have just said, hey, you know what? I need some donkeys. Bam, there's a donkey and a little donkey. He could have done it. And yet, what does he do? Rather than just making some donkeys, he sends his disciples a couple miles down the road to borrow another man's donkeys. And listen, the fact that Jesus goes through all of this trouble, the fact that he goes to people he made and asks to borrow things that he created is absolutely absurd. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What that means is everything that you have, it's all God's. Well, no, Jared, the reason I have what I have is because I was born in the land of opportunity. And I took advantage of it. Okay, well, who birthed you into the land of opportunity? Who decided that you would be here in America, that you would be born into this country as opposed to maybe, say, Ethiopia? God did. Yeah, okay, you got me there, Jared, but it's because I worked hard, man. I had ambition. Okay, well, who gave you the ability to work hard? Who keeps your heart beating while you do nothing at night but snore? Right? Everything that we have is from God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And it's so easy, I think, to take this for granted. Um, can you grab my coffee mug, Megan, out of the... Uh, thank you, sweetie. Appreciate that. Um, is that awkward? A little bit? Okay. It is now? Okay. Um, this is my coffee mug, okay? It's my favorite coffee mug. Nobody drinks out of this coffee mug. Every morning... I wake up, and uh, I pour myself a cup of coffee. And it just dawned on me this week as I was thinking about this message. you know how this coffee mug came to me? I mean, I bought it at the barista parlor in Nashville, Tennessee. But, but, but more than that, this, this came to me by the grace of God. You know how? You know why I say that? Because a ceramic industry created this for me. And where did the ceramic industry come from? Anybody know? I'm not really sure, but I think it was from like Eastern Asia, okay? And it happened probably about 5,000 years ago. You can take this back. Just thought I'd show it to everybody. Thank you. Uh, it, uh, it happened probably about 5,000 years ago, at least the way I see it, on the Euphrates River. A man is with his son on the bank, and let's just say the man is fishing. And his son's over there, and he's just playing in the mud. Right? And he's just pushing it together and he's having fun. He's enjoying life. And eventually, as the man's fishing, the son's pushing the clay together, he begins to push it together in what appears to be something like a cup. 
And the dad says, whoa, there's a business idea. Next thing you know, I have that coffee mug. Right? And what's even crazier, if you take it back, is why is that bank there? Because creation tells us, the creation account in Genesis 1, is that God separated the water from the dry land, and therefore, right, there had to be a riverbank, and if there's a riverbank, there had to be mud, and therefore, as a result of God putting a riverbank and then a mud, he also gave me a mug. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything that we have, you can trace it back to the fact that God created it, he owns it, and by his grace, he allowed us to have it. And the fact that this God chooses to go to people that he made and ask to borrow back things that he created is simply absurd. The second reason I think this invitation of generosity is absurd is look at this. In chapter 21, by God's design, Jesus rides into town on the generosity of ordinary people. Jesus could have went to Jerusalem any way that he wanted. He could have went in on Air Force One if he wanted to, right? He could have. I would have. If I was Jesus, I would have came in on a Boeing 777, man, like ground shaking, people terrified, thinking it's the end of the world because they'd never seen a jet, right? I would have walked in like Neo from the Matrix, Ray-Bans, trench coat flying and being like, what's up? Your Savior's here. But that's not what Jesus does. By his design, how does he choose to ride into Jerusalem? He does it on a donkey and a little donkey, not just ones that he created like bam on the spot, right? But some donkeys, right, that he borrowed from another man. This means that by the generosity of another man, a man who was willing to share his possessions for God's purposes, this is how Jesus chooses to ride into the town to make himself famous. And listen, the reason this is important, you have to get this, guys. This is the same way today that Jesus intends to ride into Paragold into Jonesboro, and beyond. Yes, Jesus is going to use preaching, and he's going to use a various of other means to accomplish his mission, but ultimately, we have to get this today, fellowship. It is on the generosity of ordinary people like you and me that Jesus chooses to make himself known in this city. And therefore, if we truly want to make the real Jesus non-ignorable to every man, woman, and child in this city, as Adam talked about earlier, we need to realize it's only going to happen when ordinary people like you and me, even if we feel like we don't have a lot to give, say, you know what, I'm going to untie my possessions and I'm going to embrace a life of generosity for the good of myself, for the good of this church, for the good of the city, and ultimately for the glory of God. And this is exactly what we see happen in this story. I mean, this man just has a couple pairs of donkeys. Jesus says, I need them. The man says, okay. And as a result of Jesus riding to the city, look what happens in verse 10. It says that literally the whole city was stirred up. People are throwing down their jackets. They're throwing down branches. They're shouting. Right? It says in here, they're shouting, blessed is he who comes in the Lord. Hosanna in the highest and as a result of their joy and their excitement that only the real Jesus can bring, right, this joy begins to spread and the whole city is shaken up. And literally, how does it happen? It happens because God chooses to use the generosity of a donkey owner to help set off a tidal wave in this city. Jesus said, I need a couple donkeys. And as a result of this man's generosity, the whole city was stirred up. And the fact that God wants to do the same thing through us is absolutely absurd. The third thing I would say is God's invitation of generosity is absurd because God uses our generosity to literally write us into his story. Greed writes us out of the story of God. 
Generosity writes us into the story of God, and that's what we see right here in this text. I mean, do you realize we have a guy written into the Gospels because he shared two donkeys? And the Gospels, the entire Bible's about Jesus. And yet whenever God compiles this Bible through his Holy Spirit, he says, I want to be sure and include stories about other people's ordinary generosity and how I used it for extraordinary purposes. And he doesn't just do it with this guy. I mean, he does it with uh, the widow's might. As everybody's coming, right, and they're giving out of their abundance. There's this one woman the Bible talks about, a widow who has hardly nothing, but she gives everything that she has to the Lord. God says, I want that in my story. I want her to be celebrated. He doesn't just do it with the widow's mind. He does it again with this, this, this boy who just gives, I, I got a couple pieces of bread and fish, that's all I have, but I'll give it to you, Lord. And, and, and Jesus uses it to feed 5,000. I said, I want that guy in the story. And what's even more amazing to me is he does it with the Easter story, right? There's this guy named Joseph who plays a really prominent place in the resurrection, which is all about Christ, simply because he let Jesus borrow his tomb. And why does God do that? Because we have to get this, guys. God loves to invite ordinary people to play extraordinary roles in his story. And what that means today is, listen, you may sit here and you may, who am I? Little old me right now in Paragold, Arkansas, who am I? I'm not that important. I really don't have much to offer. You may feel like that, but here's the reality. The God of the universe has you here for a reason. He has created you. He has kept you here. He has resourced you. He has blessed you, and he wants you, you, not just like other people. He wants you to play an extraordinary role in his story. It's crazy to me. You know, in verse 5, I don't know if you realize this, but in verse 5 of chapter 21, do you realize that it says this event of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on these donkeys, this event was prophesied by the prophet Zechariah 500 years before Christ was born. 500 years before Christ was born, God said through the prophet Zechariah, this is what I'm going to do in this city and on this day. And listen, all of these years later, God uses one man's generosity to fulfill his destiny for a city. That's incredible to me. And as I begin to think about that this past week, I just couldn't help but imagine and wonder what all promises God has here for Paragould and Jonesboro and beyond that he wants to fulfill in our lifetime as a result of your generosity. I was uh, thinking as we saw BJ and Brooke up here, many of you know their story and how they got here, but you know the reason BJ and Brooke are here is... is, is um, Several years ago, when we first getting started this church, I'm speaking at a medical clinic, and the Holy Spirit prompts me to speak to this woman. I'm walking out the door, and I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to go talk to her. And I was like, eh, but I kind of kept going. The Holy Spirit was like, hey, walk out that door and see what I'll do to you, you know? So I turned back around. And so, like, I go back, and I begin to talk to this woman. And long story short, uh, begin to build a somewhat of a relationship with her. And um, she was uh, 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 addicted to meth. She was a cutter. She had all these different issues. Eventually, she's thrown into jail. She reaches out to me. I begin to give her time every week where I would go through a Bible study with her. I'd go through the story of God with her at the jail. Eventually, our whole missional community decides to put money together to bond her out of jail. And then after that, we buy her clothes. We kind of put our reputation on the line. We go to the court uh, on her court day. We ask for the judge to please put her into a rehab. We do all of this stuff. We give a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy. We're very generous to try to, to bless this woman because we believe that God is calling us to do that. And many of you know the story. Eventually, we get her into a drug rehab. And two weeks after she's there, she said, I'm out. And she bailed and she ran away, went back to prison. 
I was very frustrated, very angry. I was like, man, after all this stuff I did, God, I, I believe you called me to give, and this is the way you repay me. And yet what's amazing is whenever this woman goes into the Agape house, she meets Brooke. And Brooke, here's a story about what our church had done and how we'd been generous to share with her. And as a result, Brooke said, I want to be a part of this church. And BJ was in prison at time in Mississippi. And she calls BJ and she said, look, if you want to make our marriage work, we're going to put Christ at the center. We're going to move here to Paragold. We're going to be involved in this church. We're going to get our kids back. We're going to join the mission. And we're going to give our lives to what Christ has called us to. And as a result, you know, not only they led a missional community, we just saw they've raised up another missional community leader. They've multiplied out. Brooke has baptized people. BJ has baptized people. And as I'm sitting there and I'm listening to them talk this morning, I still can't get over the fact of how our yeses today weave us into the story of God for days to come in ways that we can't even imagine. And listen, I don't say that to like toot my own horn. There are plenty of opportunities that I miss all the time where God calls me to be generous. And I'm like, ah, you know, I think I'm going to do it my way. But every time I've chose to be generous, every time you choose to be generous, though we don't always see how it's going to happen, the reality is God writes us into his story. And that's absurd to me. Lastly, I would just say this this morning. The fourth reason I think God's invitation to be generous is crazy. And the reason why I think we should be quick to give, and you may not think this is a very gospel-centered reason, but the truth is we always get back more than we give. If you, from a pure heart, give back to God $10 of the $100 that he has given you, one day, it is clear from scriptures that whenever you lay up treasures for God here on earth, you also have treasures laid up for you in heaven, which means when you arrive in heaven, not only do you get back what you gave here on earth for the glory of God, but you will get that back plus an exponential increase. And I didn't say that, God said that. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, 19, the scripture says this, As for the rich in the present age, and by the way, that's you and me. If you make at least $30,000 per household income, we are in the top 1% in the world of the wealthiest people in the world. So that's you and me. We're rich in the present age. As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Look at this, verse 19. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Man, I love that. Guys, listen, Paul says, don't be so obsessed with money that's here today and gone tomorrow. Instead, he says, go after God. Get on his mission of being extravagantly generous with your money and rich in good deeds. And what does he say happens as a result? He says, you will build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. You always get back more than you give. This man in the story, I'm pretty sure he got his donkeys back. They crucified Jesus. They didn't crucify the donkeys, right? I mean, we know that from the story. I'm sure he got his donkeys back, plus he got written into the story of God, plus I believe he got back exponentially more. And listen, the same is true of you and me. Whenever we choose to give to God what he calls us to give, when we choose to make an eternal investment, we get in on what God is doing, we partner with him in his unfailing mission, we get written into his story, and we get back a phenomenal increase on what we choose to give here on earth. And to me, again, that's absurd, guys. And so the question is, if you're here and you're like, man, I want to get in on this. 
if the Holy Spirit, as I'm sharing this right now, takes it from just being like words that a guy's saying to waste your time to like, that's true what he just said. And you want to get in on that. The question maybe you're asking is on a practical standpoint, what does that look like? And as pastors, we call you to give and to be generous with three different areas. And as we come in kind of for a, a, a landing this morning, I want to be very practical. The three areas that we call you to give today is of your time, we call you to give of your talents, and we call you to give of your treasures. And this is very important for you to hear today because, listen, guys, if you're members of this church, this is what we're calling you to. So uh, I'm glad the coffee mug was not on there. Uh, thanks, bro. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? That's right. Thank you. Time, talents, and treasures. Uh, thank you, Alicia. Uh, I've never had that happen before. Um, your talents. I believe that if you are a member of this church, you are someone who has claimed to give in your life to Jesus Christ. And if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit, which means you have received spiritual gifts, specific talents, and abilities that God has given you for the purpose of building up this church. And I'm not just talking about here on Sunday mornings, though that's very important. Julie, I don't know if she's in here, but she was telling me this this past week. I mean, we, have, we had like 120 kids in there last week. I don't know how many we have. I can hear them every now and then, so I know it sounds like it's crazy right now. Um, she said we, we, have like, we need like 120 volunteers every month in Fellowship Kids. She says we need like nine more volunteers right now because we're nine volunteers short. So we certainly need people to serve here on a Sunday morning. But I'm talking about using your gifts not just here within this building, but also outside of this building in places like a missional community. If you have gifts like hospitality, use those gifts to open up your home and to show hospitality to your MC. Or if you have gifts of encouragement, use it to give gospel courage to your brothers and sisters in the faith. If you have a teaching gift, use the teaching gift in order to lead discussion. The list goes on and on and on. But here's the thing. As pastors, we are committed to helping you understand what your spiritual gift is, cultivating that, and then helping you use that so that you can benefit the church. This is something we're going to call you to commit to. Not only are we going to call you to commit and give of your talents, we're also going to call you to give of your treasures. And there are three specific areas that we're going to ask you to give of your treasures. We're going to ask you to give of your finances to the poor. We're going to call you to give to the community of faith. And we're going to call you to give to the local church for the sake of leadership and equipping. I want to say something real quick under each one of these. First off, to the poor. In Matthew 25, 40, Jesus says this, Whatever you have done for the least of these... You have done for me. If you want a really sobering reminder this morning, go read the rest of this passage in Matthew 25. And basically what Jesus says, if you neglect to give to the poor, you can have no assurance of your salvation. Guys, because we were once poor before God and we had nothing to offer him and yet he saved us and he filled us up, the proper response then is for us to care for others who are poor. To reach out to those who are the outcast, to reach out to those who are in need. And so we need to budget that into our lives. Another area we're going to call you to be generous with your finances is not just to give to the poor, but get to give to the community of faith. In Galatians 6.10, it says, So as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. 
Yes, we should do good for those who are outside of our church, but we also need to make sure that we are caring for people within the church. In fact, what Paul says here is it's wrong for us to put so much time into caring for other people outside the church that we can't even do anything to care for one another. He says, do good for everyone, especially for those of the household of faith. And then lastly, I would just say this. We also believe that you're called to give to the local church for the sake of leadership and equipping. I don't know if you realize this, but according to the scriptures, guys, you realize the church is the family of God. Did you realize that? Like we're sons and daughters of God, which means we are brothers and sisters in the faith. And listen, just as it takes money to run your family, it takes money to run this family. We cannot do what we do apart from your giving. We can't pay for this building. We can't pay for ministries like kids' ministries. We can't give like we do to, to, to equipping leaders, which we spent 600 hours last year equipping our leaders without your finances. Uh, we can't do things like give away over $32,000 to church planters like Rusty to ensure that they're able to plant the gospel in other places. We can't do things like the Enneagram workshop and, and parenting conferences and all these things apart from giving. On top of that, your tithes do help pay for salaries. They pay for salaries like Darius, our student director, and Julie, kids director, and Matt Jackson. They free up pastors like me and Adam so that we can care for you and teach you and watch over you as those who are going to give an account to God one day for your soul. And if you're here and you're like, well, I don't think pastors should get paid. Well, let me just read a couple verses from the scripture so you know this is not so much about a personal agenda as much as it is a biblical conviction. In 1 Corinthians 9 verse 13, Paul says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple. And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. This was an Old Testament idea that, that, that the people of God would bring their money to the priest in order to provide for them so they could do what they needed to do for the people. That was an Old Testament idea, but verse 14, Paul says it carries over to the New Testament. It says, in the same way, the Lord commands that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Jesus talks about this as well in Matthew 23, 23. People are always like, well, what does Jesus say? Here's what he says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices of mint, dill, and cumin, which in an agrarian culture, that was like green money. Okay, they were taking what they had, money, to the temple to provide for the priest. He says, you do that, but you've neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then look what he says. You should have practiced those things, but without neglecting the tithe. And there's other places we could look at, 2 Corinthians 9, Galatians 6, 1 Timothy 5, but here's just, here's what I'm going to say and I'll be done. If it is your conviction that this is your church, we are going to call you to be generous with your time, your talents, and your treasures. And when you fill out your form this year and, and you decide what that looks like for you and your family. And it's going to look different for everyone depending on where you are and what stage of life you're in and all of that. It's not a one-size-fits-all. But as you do that, we're going to call you to be people of integrity, to continue to be generous so that you can get in on what God wants to do in you, which is to make you by your generosity more like Christ and so that he can continue to do great things through you, which is to make him known to other people in our city and beyond. And here's the good news this morning. As we close, listen, if you came into the room today and you're not prepared to be generous, you want to know some good news? God's always prepared to be generous towards you. He's always prepared. And that's ultimately what this story is about. The story really isn't about a donkey owner and his generosity. It's about God and his great generosity. 
It's about how Jesus rode into Jerusalem and was delivered over to men who would crucify him for the forgiveness of your sins. It's about the Son of God who, who came to this world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you and me. And therefore, what that means is no matter who you are or how you came into the room today, because our God is generous, because he is infinitely rich in mercy and he is a big spender, you can receive mercy from him, you can receive his love, you can receive the salvation and the satisfaction that you are longing for, not by saying, okay, well, I guess I'm going to write a check and then God will love me, but by simply admitting that you are spiritually bankrupt before him, that Jesus is where your hope is and that he's all that you have. As it turns out, the one thing that God needs from all of us the most is the one thing that we all have. And you know what it is? Need. If you have need, you can have God. And therefore today, I just want to encourage you, if you have never taken your neediness to God, do so today. Stand right now where you are in your heart and just say, I admit that I am spiritually bankrupt before you. I have nothing, but Jesus, you have everything that I need through your life, death, and resurrection. And today, I invite you to come and to fill me up with your grace and your love.